Welcome to the Truth Lover video podcast presented by Love and Truth Party. I am your host, Will Pye, author, speaker, transformational coach, retreat leader, and founder of Love and Truth Party. You can find out more about me at willpie.com. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school, facilitating health, healing, and happiness liberating humanity from the matrix of fear and self-loathing. Find us and join our mailing list at www.loveandtruthparty.org. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as new earth ninjas, our playful avatar. We do so in the spirit of play holding the paradox that all is well, even and including all collective crises, while simultaneously being moved to act to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these, and within the happiness hacks, including the seven questions and other free resources, plus our online courses uh, which can be found at loveandtruthparty.org. I'm really excited for this edition of The Truth Lover. I'm joined today by Jason Sadana Krichanik. Jason and I met uh, seven years ago at the Temple of the Way of Light in Peru, which is where Jason is joining us from right now. Um, so we have uh, Peruvian Amazonian jungle internet. So Please bear with us if we experience any imperfection as our conversation unfolds. Jason's uh, bio reads as this. My journey through life has led me around the world in search of the questions I have had about life. Early in my 20s, I began to develop a keen interest in plants as food, as nutrition, as life, and as medicine. That curiosity eventually led me to the Amazon, where I began to work with plants to learn this traditional way of healing. My experience combines many different modalities of working with plants. The plants of the Amazon and the way in which the indigenous peoples work with them has had a revelatory effect upon my life. Plants truly are our food, our life, our medicine, and they are alive and here to help us learn from them. They can open us to a world that we perhaps never could have imagined. When we approach them with respect, honor, humility, and a genuine desire to learn, they can open the doors of life and heal us on all levels. I'm deeply grateful to all of my teachers, everyone that has helped me in this journey to where I am and to wherever it may lead. Jason, it's a real joy and pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. No, it's a pleasure to, to be here with you again, Will. It feels especially appropriate. Seven-year cycle is um, a, a significant period of time. And we met in 2012. And your appearance on the show is a little bit different from how most guests appear on my show. So generally, I either know someone really well, like they're just a, a good buddy and I, and, I, and I love their book, or, um, or I've just read their books and and um, you know, reached out to them as a as a sort of um, known teacher or something like this. You're a little bit different in that I spent some time with you seven years ago and was was struck in that time that I spent with you about 
the integrity and depth of devotion I felt you brought to your yoga, as I recall at the time, to your general way of being. And I guess I've seen that confirmed throughout my following you on social media. And it's just been really beautiful to learn in the brief conversation we just had that um, there has been such a depth of journey for you in that last seven years. You've been serving and facilitating at the temple. You're a facilitator and, and plant doctor. You have this beautiful website, nicotianarustica.org, that people will be able to find in, in the show notes. And, um, and I've also, just to add to that, other pieces to why I felt moved, other than I thought it would be enjoyable for me to connect with you and be in dialogue, I've noticed you speaking out also about the COVID-19 situation with courage and clarity as well. And that, for me, sets people apart. It seems that people are either following the fear and, 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 and the, the sort of mainstream narrative or, or, or they're questioning and looking a little bit deeper into what might be happening with that. So, yeah, I, I, I bow to all of that and, and, and thank you for, for, for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for your kind words, Will. I, I appreciate that. We uh, decided upon a little title to, to frame our conversation and it's, um, I say little, it's, it's grand. We're going to speak about uh, death accessing nature's wisdom and the great rebirth and awakening and uh, for me that's uh, very much a personal and collective rebirth and awakening and um, from the impression I get you know at the temple of the way of light which I'm very happy to, to give free marketing to having had you know profound experience there myself and just holding them in such high regard and you know, speaking of your integrity i perceive great integrity at the temple and it feels like there's a happy match you're in lockdown at the moment so it's not current but you actually use the word machine or or there's a depth of process happening at the temple where you're witnessing people's rebirth and awakening through the accessing of nature's wisdom um, almost day in day out and that just fascinates me the intensity and the profundity of that yeah it's um <clears throat> i think like with with anything uh you know as we were talking about earlier i i also practice martial arts and uh, i i used to do a lot of brazilian jiu-jitsu and you know, I think it's a similar thing when, when we come, we're new and, and we, we start from the bottom and, and we're just working on all of these fundamental things. And uh, it looks like the dog just left again. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, through a natural process, what I, what I really saw through that is that, you know, one never, it's not a, like a clear cut line when one becomes a teacher. It's just through this natural progression of doing the work on myself, on ourselves, that we reach a point where there, there just begins to be this natural process of sharing because people, people, I think, do see that and feel that and, and, and begin to reach out and to ask questions and to ask for help. And so, yeah, you know, for me, I, I never necessarily had a, a vision of, of this was going to be the work that I, I was going to do, but it was just a really deep and genuine curiosity to, 
to dive into this world, which was completely foreign to me. Um, I had I had sensed it through other paths that I had done, but I had never necessarily had that direct experience like these plants uh, gave me access to. And so, yes, the beginning was it was a very kind of deep and and long process of doing this work on myself. And and then when I I, I actually left the temple for a while to 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 really go into that work, and then when I came back. Uh, the 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 man who I studied with his kind of one thing he said to me upon leaving was I've given you everything I have never come back <laughs> and uh, he said you need to go out and work and you know at first that was a little difficult because I was like I don't want to come back I still want to have a relationship but I I really heeded his words and and so I went out and you know I I, I had had all of this training but I didn't necessarily know you know what the hell I was doing, uh, but this this place has been. Uh, I'm I'm super grateful to it because it it is. It, it's like trial by fire. It's 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 throwing throwing us into this this role where we're working with you know 23, 24 people every nine, twelve, or twenty three days, and you know there is there's a tremendous transformational process that's that's happening. For, only as an individual, but as a collective, as a group, uh, and and we're also part of that. And you know, while the guests are coming and having their own personal experience, the group is having an experience. You know, us who work here, you know, I'll at least speak for myself. You know, it's for me. There's also a, a tremendous transformational process that's happening by by helping to to walk that journey with someone. And um, yeah, so there's there's been a huge teaching doing that. I love the archetypal, profound sort of apprentice and master. The master says, I've given you what I've got and, and now you're on your own. There's something like really integrous about that for me. I think often in the world of economics, a teacher has a motivation to maintain a relationship as long as possible. And of course that can be valuable as an ongoing learning but for a teacher to reach a point where it's like i've given you everything i've got you know over to you that that feels whole and clear for me and i can imagine also slightly bewildering for you as the uh, apprentice now um qualified now moving in to teaching and i hear you how that process is is very natural we we learn and i really just feel a deep sort of soulful resonance with your journey and my own in that I was similarly inspired by curiosity to study and practice various avenues and to, to dive pretty deep into different modalities of energy work and healing and meditation and, and so on. And then I remember a friend actually reflected to me, he said, hey, Will, I, I see something happening with with all this there's a directionality to it that i wasn't aware of but when he spoke to it it was like well I, I i guess yeah i mean i do seem to be accruing a certain amount of um useful useful information but what i see with yourself is that you've really moved into an embodiment of that role with such great depth such great depth i mean um anyone i imagine who's listening to this show chances are here in 2020 a few of them will have 
fairly good proportion, perhaps, have worked with ayahuasca. Um, I imagine most people would have heard of ayahuasca and would have some sense as to, you know, there's a great film, Shock and Awe, from Shock, from Shock to Awe, I should say, that looks at ayahuasca's power as a healing modality for people with some of the most extreme and intense uh, PTSD, as we, as we would call it. And so to imagine that extrapolated out to the number of people and, and your own depth of process in that, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of the depth of that. And also I find myself deeply moved as we look at a world in chaos and in craziness, madder perhaps than ever, that all the while, and uh, that there is this profound intelligence of, of ayahuasca that's working on, on scale through the human body and, and, and the human consciousness. Um, perhaps you can speak to that a little bit, the, the, the interplay of the individual and the collective and perhaps what role ayahuasca in particular and the other plants that you work with might have for our collective and individual healing and transformation. Like what, what does that look like? Mm. Well, you, you said something for me really beautiful in your, your introduction, which is this idea um, that, that, you know, in this sense, everything is well, you know, there's, I think many of us, we, we believe in this idea that, you know, things are out of balance or things are in a state of disharmony. But I think what I've really come to see is that everything is always in a state of harmony. Things are always well. With the caveat, which you added to that, that that doesn't mean that there's not action. You know, every moment can inspire action. But how are we approaching that? And, uh, you know, a huge part of, of what this work has really shown me, uh, not only through my process, but I'd say even more so through observing and working with, with other people's processes, is that a tremendous amount, if not all, of our suffering comes from this idea of not, not, not looking deep inside of ourselves, and instead, you know, we often hear this word of projection, or but, but this idea that the fault lies out there. It's the corporations, or it's the environment, or it's these guys, or it's the bad guys, or and it's it's an it's a it's a natural protection mechanism that we all have you know we we've all learned this ever since we were children and you know for for a certain point in our lives it serves us it it actually does protect us from these perceived dangers in the world that that we perhaps don't have the the skill and the ability to to deal with those but i think at a certain point you know, people who are drawn to this work, you know, they, they, they realize there, there's something in their lives that's, there's this sense that something isn't well, <laughs> that the world is not in balance, which is really saying, I'm not well, I'm not in balance. 
And that draws them to this work, which truly is, you know, and I, I really like this word also that you use, this archetype, but it's this archetypical journey of the hero's journey. It's the journey inward. And, and through that journey, we see that, that, you know, everything that we see in the outside world exists within us. And if we can come to peace with that, if we can resolve that within us, then we literally come to peace with the outside world. And everything we see in the outside is a reflection of what's inside. And so by doing that work on ourselves, we then become the vessel that shares that in the outside world. And that's, you know, even though that may seem insignificant, you know, one person, what can one person do? But, you know, much as you were saying, this kind of, this, this spreading, you know, one person, that's, that's every, every smile you give to someone, every word you say to something, the guy in the grocery store, your mother, your family, every action you take, where you're putting your money, uh, you know, what am I doing with my time? What, you know, every, everything, and that spreads, you know, that spreads even just in a day to many people. And then those people, that spreads to many more people. And in that way, there's, there's exponential change. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a huge part of this work. And it's, you know, sometimes it may sound a little cliche that, you know, everything starts with the self. <laughs> but everything starts with the self. <laughs> These cliches often have a, a truth at their root that causes their becoming the cliche and this really speaks to something central to the, the the spirit behind love and truth party this recognition that the the, the one transformed is a transformation of the collective is a transformation of the world and we can imagine it through that way you are eloquently described that our actions and behaviors and being ripples out into the world when we have you know faced our fear or our shame or our our greed or our fury our anger our our grief um, whatever parts have required healing have required love have required meeting Um, and so there's a large degree of peace and love in our nervous system in our way of being um that 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 ripples out in, in a physical sense and what one of the things that i uh madre has has taught me and many plants teach is the um non-physical interconnectedness of all phenomena that ultimately everything is truly profoundly interconnected not just on a physical level but um in deeper uh, non-physical aspects as as well and in this notion um the we have this slogan playing powerfully in the pure democracy of consciousness so we are giving off a signal where communicating a vibration or a frequency if you like into the collective in a sort of symbiotic uh, relationship with with the field we could say and 
and and and that that honing of frequency or refining of frequency or vibration or level of consciousness it seems is i i haven't found any means of facilitating those sorts of shifts and the embodiment of those sorts of shifts um quite as 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 powerfully and as thoroughly um as as, as ayahuasca but you you also work with tobacco and, and your your website nicotiana rustica is sort of um testament to that and you've taken dietas as i understand or diets with other plants as well so um we can perhaps come back to ayahuasca but i'd like just to learn more myself and and open up some of your repertoire and, and, and depth of experience and, and other teachers as we're talking about here in the context of these plants so ayahuasca is one but you you work with many others as well yeah um it's it, it's always interesting because you know for many people you say something like ayahuasca and they're like oh yeah that that sounds great and then you you say tobacco and there's this you know what did he just say tobacco <laughs> there's a tremendous story around it and and unfortunately like you know many plants uh, which are very sacred uh you know plants like coca and tobacco they they've really been kind of taken out of context and 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 used in ways that that perhaps are we could say not sacred but because all of these plants you know the people who I think have really mastered them there was always a quality of sacredness when you worked with them because they're very very strong they're very powerful and you know one one really does need to approach them with with respect and humility and gratitude and understanding um so tobacco it was it was probably the most widely used medicine plant in in all of the americas you know from canada the united states all through central america south america <clears throat> and in many indigenous languages, the, the the word for tobacco was the same word as the word for a curandero or, or a healer, or a, a medico, a doctor. So a doctor was one who worked with tobacco. And the, the stronger the doctor, kind of the, the more mastery they had over tobacco. And in many traditions, <clears throat> tobacco was considered the first plant. Uh, it was it was the plant that kind of gave way to all of the other plants. So under the the effect, or some would say under the dizziness, the the mariación in, in Spanish they say under the the dizziness of tobacco, one was able to learn to work with all of these other plants. But tobacco was actually the first one, and that's why, you know, even some people who've maybe done some of this plant work, they've they've heard of this idea of, of grandfather tobacco, and it's again really just an archetype of this this primordial plant, um, and and. It, every plant has their own qualities and you know there's a number of plants that we would consider what could be called master plants they're they're plants that have an ability to not only heal us on 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 all all of the the various levels such as the, the, the physical level the emotional level the mental level the spiritual level but they have an ability to actually teach us so so that's why they're called a master plant and you know, many of those people are, are probably familiar with things like ayahuasca, peyote, wachuma, uh, iboga, um, and tobacco. Tobacco is also one of those. 
And, you know, each of these plants, they, they work in their own way. They, from maybe a more indigenous perspective, they would say they have their own spirit, which means they have their own way of working. They, they have their own unique quality. Uh, and yet they're all an embodiment of, of source, of, of, you could say, spirit with a capital S. But they have their own unique way in which they work. Some people may have heard of this idea of, you know, ayahuasca t tends to maybe archetypically embody this feminine quality and that it's, it's often very ethereal and we're working at night and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of mysterious. Whereas tobacco is often considered the archetypical masculine quality. It's very direct and strong and, and, and clear. So the, the dizziness under the effect is, is one where things are just very clear. There's a sense of groundedness. There's a sense of strength after one works with it. And like any plant, there's, there's many ways to work with it. The, the, the most common that we all know of is smoking, but smoking is actually probably the least uh, most effective way of working with it. The, uh, the most common ways are sometimes there's a snuff that's made, which is shot into the nose. Uh, there can be a, a powder that's chewed. There can be the actual leaf that's chewed. There's often a paste that's made, which can be licked. And the most powerful way, like any plant, is actually ingesting it. So ingesting it in its liquid form. So when people are talking about, you know, working with tobacco, that's what they would be talking about is ingesting it in its liquid form. And that's how one begins to develop a relationship with that plant, much like one would develop a relationship with ayahuasca. So having said that, you know, all of these plants like ayahuasca, tobacco, they're, they're also kind of considered like a gateway. They're, they're a bridge to what we could deem as altered states of consciousness, which probably many of your listeners are very familiar with this, but if they aren't, you know, often this can even sound very strange, you know, like, or even scary, but, you know, we're always in an altered state of consciousness. Our consciousness is never static, like, like everything in the universe. It's constantly changing. And, you know, every night we go into a highly, highly altered state of consciousness, which is called sleep. Um, so, you know, with tobacco, as you're mentioning, what are other plants? Tobacco is often a medium that's used to begin to ingest or work with other plants. So in many traditions, any plant that you would want to diet, and to, to diet a plant, in, in Spanish they call it a, a dieta. It's a process where one goes into isolation, restricts one's food to, to either minimal food or sometimes no food, and has no contact. So it's essentially your isolated fasting, again, kind of hinting on the topic we talked about is reaching physically, mentally, emotionally, that death-like state. And in that state, we become very open and very sensitive. And then working with a plant like tobacco in its liquid form, we would then take whatever plant that we want to ingest, whether it's a tree or a, a plant, and you know, there's many plants that, that one would diet to learn how to work with that plant and mix it with liquid tobacco. And that's the way that one begins to diet and to learn from these plants. There's some curanderos who work with both ayahuasca and tobacco. There's some who only work with tobacco and there's some who only work with ayahuasca. Um, but in general, uh, you know, one, one who's really considered, you know, powerful would probably have a, a mastery over, over a number of, of plants. Um, so yeah, that's uh, 
that's a little bit about tobacco. <laughs> I've always found the dieta, and you've articulated it really clearly there, such a extraordinary experience. It's like the next level. So it's one thing to go to the jungle and, and this in itself is uh, a, a big thing for sure to go off to an alien um, culture and environment and to submit with um, with humility or else one will be brought to uh, one's knees to 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 Aya to ayahuasca to her wisdom and to and, 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 I, and it's fair to say that the process at the Temple of the Way of Light, um, from my sense, it, it, it creates, a, it gets as much into, I think when I was there, it was a 12-day process. You've said this now, a 23-day immersion. And it gets as much into that time frame as possible in terms of the medicine, in terms of integration, in terms of other ceremonies and learning here and there group sharing and all the rest so it's a, it's a deep immersive experience but a dieta is something on another level altogether you've mentioned isolation you've mentioned an absence or a re great reduction in food and you've mentioned working with tobacco and with the plant or tree that you're focusing on at that time to develop a, a, a relationship with, as I, um, as I understand. And perhaps you can speak to that a little. Like, I, I mean, most, most people I, I think would hear all that and think, well, that's crazy. Why would I go off and be without people and, and then reduce food? And you know, what, if, what if this plant I'm entering into a relationship with is you know, not someone I enjoy being with? So can you, can you share a little bit about the maybe the richness and the challenge of, of, of dietas. Yeah. The, the, the more I do this work and, you know, as we were talking earlier, I, I also come from a background of, of just really having a, a deep curiosity in, in many paths that, that also led me to this path and uh, studying yoga and Tai Chi and Qigong and, and many different martial arts and, you know, esoteric practices and, you know, the, the more I look at it, I, I think this work is, is really, it's, it's at the base of all of these things, you know, all over the world, <clears throat> these kind of rituals, whether it's with plants, which I, I think in many parts of the world it was, and those have been lost, or, or whether it's just through that process of, of isolation or, you know, darkness, fasting, there's, there's just, there's a tremendous power to that. There's a tremendous power of of, of kind of cutting oneself off, of almost like turning the switch of life off. And, you know, I think especially these days, it, it can be very difficult for many people to even realize, um, you know, just the frequency that we check our phone or there's information here, or there's this to do or that to do. And, you know, so to imagine going into isolation for one week, two weeks, one month, two months, three months, six months, you know, potentially even with literally nothing to do, it really forces one to go inside and just to begin to observe the, the workings of the mind. You know, who am I? What, what, is, the, what is the nature of reality? What is the nature of, of me? What is my relationship to what's arising? 
<clears throat> and through that process of <clears throat> really weakening one's system through not eating, through no contact, one becomes very open. Uh, you know, they, there's this saying that when the, when the body is very weak, the spirit is very high. And, you know, I think a lot of us, we probably realize that if we've ever been sick, you know, really sick, our body's very weak, but there's something else that's very open, very aware. Um, I mean, you can, from what I know of you, you, you can probably relate a lot to that through the experience you went through. Um, and so, you know, when we're working with a plant, it can get a bit tricky because maybe people who are familiar with this word work, you know, there's, there's a lot of terms that, that are said, you know, things like plant spirits and doctors and, you know, witchcraft and all of these things. And, <clears throat> you know, for me, I think it's really important that everyone, we all have to find out what those things mean ourselves uh, but that process of, of dieting, I think, is the way that we begin to learn that. And so you asked about a relationship. You know, there's the, the relationship for me is on two levels. One, there's, there's a relationship with the actual plant that we're, we're having a relationship with, because every plant is unique. Every plant is different. And that's something we all know. You know, if, if we, an apple tastes different than an orange. If we have one sickness, we take basil. If we have another sickness, we take oregano. If we have this disease, we take a pharmaceutical statin. If we have this one, we take an antibiotic. So, you know, each, each medicine has its own quality or its own spirit, if we want to speak of it that way. So we're learning about that particular medicine, but also that medicine, again, I think from an, an, an even layer, a layer where we remove ourselves even a little bit further, that medicine is also simply getting us in touch with ourselves. And it's really taking us deep into that journey of that self-reflection. And, you know, it's, it's been said that I think it was also a, a martial artist. I think it was uh, Musasi, the, the samurai. He said, you know, when you know, when you know the way in one thing, then you know the way broadly. And, <clears throat> And I think that's a huge part of this work is when we, when we begin to see what's happening in ourselves, then we begin to understand that in a broad way. We begin to see that in all things, in, in, in other people, in life. <clears throat> and I think that's how the, the doctor, the curandero, really begins to learn how to do this work through working with plants. But more than anything, it's a process of going inside and seeing you know, what is pain? What is my suffering? Where are these blocks? Why are they arising? What is my relationship with them? Where am I holding on? Uh, what are my beliefs that are holding me back? What are my fears? And as I begin to, to go into these things and, and understand them and resolve them, then I can be able to, to, to see that in, in, in all things. And, and so when a, a patient comes to a doctor and they say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really jealous of my neighbor. I'm, I have this fear of dying or I, I, I have this sickness in my stomach. The, the curandero knows because through his own experience, he's gone in and he's seen, ah, yes, I, I can recognize that. This is the way out. It seems to me that You've highlighted there one of the key distinctions between 
the work of a curandero or an ayahuasquero, uh, a maestro, um, and a Western practitioner of whether it be psychology or allopathy. So let's say I have depression or I have cancer. In the West, I would go to someone who is in a psychological setting, is attempting to be less less so these days happily, but for a long time, the, the, the stated goal was to be as objective and as removed from the person that you were treating as possible until someone worked out that actually it was the being intimate and caring that was therapeutic. Um, and with a doctor, of course, you may go to them uh, to resolve something that they had never had, may have never experienced depression or, or, or anxiety. Um, but the shaman is expected, if I understand this correctly from what you've shared and, and what I've read is expected to not necessarily have cancer or not necessarily go into a particular malady, but in a broad sense to dive into the, the, the sickness or the darkness or the dysfunction in their own system, whatever the particular flavors of that, in order that they will then be useful. And in the case of ayahuasca and in the case of what you, I hear you say with tobacco as well, I think, actually be in the ingestion and under the influence of whilst working with clients or, or, or students or, or, or patients. And that seems to be quite fundamentally different. I mean, on, on one sense, you might think if, if people have never worked with that, what the, the, the shaman gets high too. They, they, they take ayahuasca. What an, what an extraordinary thing. Um, but it seems that Perhaps you can share a little about how being in that space, being under the, the influence to, to, to some extent, I don't know what dose you would take as a, as a facilitator, helps you explore the terrain with the individual, helps you be a more effective facilitator or shaman. So perhaps you can speak to anything that comes alive from what, what I've touched on there. Yeah. Well, everyone is, you know, certainly everyone is unique and different and everyone has their, their own ways of working and um, different people have different modalities. Some people may take bigger doses, smaller doses. Some people don't take any dose. You know, some people, they're just very intuitive, very sensitive. Some people may be very visual. They, 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 they see things. Um, so everyone has a different way of working, but it's, you know, it's, I think, really developing whatever our way of understanding is so that when we're working, we have that ability to, to, to see, to feel, to intuit in that way. And it is, you know, it's a very symbiotic relationship. It's, you know, a large part of, of the doctor's work is like an allopathic doctor. You know, someone comes to you and they have this this ailment and maybe you prescribe them a plant medicine because you know that that's going to help them. Um, so, you know, there are some ailments where, where things function that way, but then there are other ailments which they would say stem from, from a different source. It's not purely physical. It's coming from something else inside, something that's out of balance, something that's not in harmony. 
And part of the shamanic way of working is, yes, then to actually go along the ride or the journey with that person under the influence of whatever plant one is working with. So it's, it can be very difficult in that way, or it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's not a hands-off approach. It's, it's very much, you know, in the trenches doing that work. Um, and, you know, also, as you were saying, it is, you know, in, in, in many paths, especially of what we would consider shamanism, it's often said that it's a path of suffering. And, and that sounds strange to many people, uh, you know, that, that this, this path that many consider, you know, pure love and light and beauty, it's actually a path of suffering. But again, that comes to what we were talking about is, you know, to really understand the light, we have to go into the darkness. To really be at peace, we have to know what it's like to be at war. To, you know, to, to, to find love, we have to realize what it is, you know, to, to truly suffer from being alone. To, to find union, we have to be separated. And so ultimately, you know, and, and this alludes a bit to the title, which I think is so beautiful is, you know, one of the names of ayahuasca, ayahuasca is actually a Quechua word, and it means vine of the soul or vine of the dead. And, you know, many people, I, I, when they hear this word death, there's kind of a natural pulling back because, you know, why would I want to be working with vine of the dead? I, I want to be alive. I want to be vibrant. I want to be happy. And, you know, yet from, from this more shamanic point of view, you know, everything comes back to death because you know again in an archetypical sense if what we're looking for is union is is peace is harmony is that primordial state you know the initial split from that whether we're the garden of eden or, or whatever you know archetypical story we want to look that's the split that's the split into duality and that's the initial separation and, and, and that's a beautiful thing. That's the world made manifest. There's a me and there's a you and I can experience you because there's a me and, and that person can experience me because there's, there's a you, you know, there's, there's the other, there's the opposite. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing. And yet the paradox is that with that, since there's a beginning, there's an end. <laughs> And, and at some point, you know, for some of us, maybe it's earlier on, for some of us, maybe it's on our deathbed, but there's a deep realization that I'm going to die. And the mind, no matter how hard it tries to understand, to comprehend, they, they have this beautiful saying in Zen, which is, you know, a knife can cut everything, but the knife can never cut itself. And it's much like the mind. The mind can comprehend everything, except it can never comprehend itself. And that's the ultimate fear of death, is the fear of the void, the fear of the unknown, the, 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 the fear of, of what can't be comprehended. And in that space of, of incomprehension, in, I don't know if that's correct English, but a state where I can't comprehend you know, that, that void, we project all of these things into it, you know, fear and terror and eternity and blackness. And, and there's, you know, this tremendous fear that arises from that state. And, and I think why these plants often allude to death or they, they allude to a process of dying 
is it's going in to all of these levels or layers that we've built up and slowly trying to shed them away. So, you know, many Coranderos would say the process of shamanism is a process of, of dying many times. Each layer is, is allowed to die away. It's allowed to fall away. And, you know, the closer we move to that primordial state, you know, of can I still be at peace with infinity, with nothingness, with the void? I, I think it's really beautifully described in, in the Bhagavad Gita. I think it's chapter 11, where Arjuna is having this, this, this conversation with Krishna. And, and Arjuna says, you know, Krishna, please, you know, show me yourself in, 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 in your real form because you've just been presenting yourself in this human form. But I, I, I really want to see you like you truly are. And he says, are you sure about that? <laughs> he says, yeah, yeah, I want to see you how you truly are. And so he shows himself in his true form, in the true form of infinite wisdom, in the 10,000-fold face of terror and joy and happiness and destruction. And, and it's overwhelming. You know, it's, I think they say it's like, you know, 10,000 sons being born at one time. You know, can I find peace in that? <laughs> can I ride that wave? And to whatever degree we can find peace and harmony in that, most of us, not to that extent, but to varying degrees of that, then that's the peace and harmony we find in our lives. And so these plants, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's, 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 it's almost like a journey. It's an offering that they're offering to, to where do you want to go? You know, what, what is work? I'll take you there. And that's why we also call this work because it's, uh, it's, we're just having a few issues with the connection. I'm not sure if the audio is still. It just came back in. It looks like the signal cut out. It was rather uh, appropriate that as you were taking us to the, the, the point of meeting the, the source <laughs> and the overwhelming overload of that, that it seemed to be just a little bit much for the internet to allow. And I loved how you, took us to that um that point where we where we pull back from death or what we perceive to be death and in both meditation and in uh so in in in, in zazen in a deep concentration practice and in plant spirit medicine work likely at some point in my experience will encounter this sort of precipice and I've heard Stan Groff speak of taking a step back from the precipice and, and sort of regretting it, wondering what would have happened if he'd jumped in. And uh, the, 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 the void, the, the, the nothingness, the, the, the perception of what would be death. And it does seem that what plant spirit medicines have the capacity very often uh, in the appropriate context and perhaps dose is to give an embodied experience of 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 death of of leaning in and maybe maybe we we lean back enough times and then we we teeter over or um by some grace we're pushed over that edge and we find ourselves falling there's that wonderful Chogya Trumpa Rinpoche quote that the bad news is where um 
we're falling. The bad news is there's no parachute. The good news is there's no ground. Mm. And that as a realization, as a embodied knowing, it seems can be facilitated through deep meditation, energetic work, and, and perhaps most, I, I think, you know, I, I don't want to imply that ayahuasca is a shortcut, right? Because I feel that if you're going to work with ayahuasca, you should probably do five years, ideally, at least a few months of meditation and, and energetic work and, and body work and, and, and so on. But in terms of its capacity to take us from a state of zero into our greatest darkness, terror, or indeed joy and love, um, ayahuasca does seem to have a, a, a profound accelerant uh, and catalytic, catalytic capacity in that regard. Um, I'm intrigued to learn a little bit more of how it has been for you to to, to witness and, and um, humbly yet truly play a significant role in many people's profound healing and awakening. I, I imagine it must be, well, I will, I'll cease imagining. How, how is it to, to witness and to play a role in that for people so regularly? It's, uh, you know, really, it, it's not something I, I think a lot about. It's, um, there's, there's, I think for many of us who, who do this work, but for me, there, there's just, there's been something in me that, that has just, and I don't know exactly what it is, but that has just felt drawn and compelled to do this work. And, and I don't, <clears throat> you know, I don't know that I'll do it forever. It's, it, it is very difficult, you know, on, on one's body, one's health, the, just the, you know, constant working. And, um, but there's something in me that, that draws strength and energy from it. And, you know, it, it, it's for me, you know, when, when the, the workshop starts, you know, we're, we're just on day one and all I'm focusing on is, you know, setting up the scene, explaining things. And then day two comes and that, that's the first ceremony where we, we're beginning to work to open things up, to, to just build a relationship. And then, you know, the second, the third ceremony comes, it's a process of cleaning and clearing, uh, you know, the fourth, the fifth, there's a sense of you know, connecting, of, of, of realigning, putting things back together. And then the, the, the fifth, the, the sixth or the seventh, depending on how many workshops or ceremonies people have, there's a sense of, of closure, of, of, of kind of sealing someone back up. And so throughout the whole process, there's never, there's rarely a sense of looking at it from a larger picture. It's just simply doing the work that needs to be done in that moment. And it never really hits me until the end of the workshop where we have, like here at the temple, it's called a group share where we all sit around in a circle and, and people share what they've, what they've experienced, what they've learned. And, and that's when it always hits me. And I think that's also the thing that kind of keeps me going is seeing, you know, these 23 people coming and, and truly having these, these revelatory experiences and, and, 
you know, understanding themselves, understanding something much deeper in themselves and leaving with a sense of peace, of harmony. And, and not that they're perfect and their lives are going to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns, but this real sense of, you know, something has shifted. The way I look at the world is different. You know, things things are just different. You know, the way I look at this tree right now, it's it's the same tree, but the relationship to it is different. You know, the way the sun is hitting the the leaves and the just the majesty of this this thing that's growing out of out of the ground and you know the sun is setting and there's insects and birds and there's just this sense of awe and i think that's what this real you know this medicine can really help to point people to and th there's always two words that that really when i hear them it 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 something in me sees that this person is really connected to the medicine and those two words are our, our gratitude and humility. And, and for me, when someone is left in that sense of being humbled and, and being grateful to be alive, that to me is a sign that this medicine is, is really working. And, uh, you know, if I could live all day, every day in a state of gratitude and humility, I would, I would consider that a success. So. Beautifully, beautifully put. And right now as the sun is setting on, the side of the globe that you are uh, perched sitting upon the, the sun has been rising for, for some time here in Australia on the other side of the globe or a nice uh, opportunity for, for awe and gratitude and, and humility there. And I hear you that, you know, John, John Steinbeck, to demystify writing and say there's, there's not much to writing other than writing itself and i and i hear you saying something a little similar that there's, there's not much to facilitating profound awakening experience of people other, other than facilitating profound awakening experience of people you know we, <laughs> we we go through a process and we do the work and the um two two pieces that you highlight to death and suffering you know, the, the 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 path of the shaman as being a, a a regular encountering and i hear you that it's physically taxing and 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 so on um yeah i really appreciate the depth that you bring to that and the work that you do there and 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 other shamans and ios garros and so on as well um the, the, the death aspect, it seems that one thing that COVID-19 uh, is bringing up um, is certainly a, a, a fear of death. Um, you know, I think that that's obviously fear is being activated upon the planet in the human consciousness in a, um, you know, in, in, a, in a slightly new way. Um, if we look over the last decades, then there's there's usually some way that the media and/or government is uh, creating a, a high state of stress and fear amongst people, whether it be with terrorism, um, you know, completely disproportionate representation of this very tiny, um, very rare, very occasional activity. 
um, much smaller than government's own terrorist activities around the world, of course, and yet utilizing communications to perpetuate, to create fear, subservience, and to justify um, infringements upon people's human rights uh, that they would not otherwise accept. Um, so I've, I've probably sort of led us slightly in that question, <laughs> which wasn't my intention. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued from your depth and perspective. Like what's, and, and in Peru, there's, a, there's an intensity, as, as I understand it, of lockdown and uh, government troops and, and, and so on, which Trump is also talking about bringing out into the US, I understand. Um, What's your sense as to what's going on with COVID-19 and our facing a fear of death, perhaps? Yeah, I, I think you, you, you put, it, put it really beautifully, and I would, I would echo all of those things. And it's, um, you know, liberty and freedom is, is it's, it's the most profound gift that we're given. And, it, you know, it, it's the state that we're all born into. We're, you know, even, even in the U.S., like, uh, like our Constitution, it's, it's simply there to design. It's, it's there designed to uphold our God-given right to our life, to our liberty, to our, our pursuit of happiness. And, and fear is, it's a, it's a very powerful, uh, I mean, in the first sense, it's a very powerful emotion that, that dictates a lot of our lives. And, you know, anyone who says they don't have fear, I would be very careful of that person. <laughs> you know, we all experience fear. Uh, and it's, you know, to what degree and, and, and are we willing to recognize that? Are we willing to look at that? And, you know, for better, for worse, fear throughout time has been a tool to, as you said, exert control, to, to, to dictate. And, you know, much like the, you know, COVID, it, it's, it's not that it, it's inherently good or bad or right or wrong, but, you know, whenever we start to declare a war on something, whether it's terrorism or a virus, it's it's an it's a never-ending battle you know war just perpetuates more war and what feeds all war is that sense of fear and you know it's it's not just governments it's not just you know certain sectors of of life it's all of us we all we all create war all the time you know when when i believe that my view is right then I inherently am saying someone else's view is wrong. And, and when those two meet, it breeds this sense of war. And, you know, uh, there's a really beautiful article written by, I think, uh, Charles Eisenstein. And there's another, uh, he has a few videos on YouTube. His name is uh, Dr. Zach Bush. And one of them, he was describing something really beautifully. He was a medical doctor and he was in the ER and he said, uh, you know, he experienced a lot of people who, who went through this similar experience, but there's one night in particular where he was in the ER for like a 36 hour shift and three people died, but 
because of the way we, we look and work with death, his job was to bring them back. And all three people, when he brought them back, and they were from very different walks of life, uh, all three of them said the exact same thing, which is, why did you bring me back? <laughs> you know, I was in this place of beauty. It was the first time I had ever felt accepted. I had ever felt whole. <clears throat> and, you know, part of the, that's why I was saying part of the, the shaman's journey is a journey into death, because death is where all of the unknown is. That's where all of the fear, all of the anxiety, all of the separation, all of our suffering, all of our anger, all of the, the blaming, it all stems from that same source. And so it's, it's very scary for a lot of people to go into that with, with good reason, because if, if I really go into that, that is the end of war. <laughs> and that seems like it's a beautiful thing, but whatever you want to call it for the ego or the sense of self, that's a very scary thing because it's the end of what we think we know to be true, what we think we know to be real, the sense of security and safety. And so it makes sense that fear is used because if I'm in a state of fear, then I'm willing to look to something or someone outside of myself for this perceived sense of security, this perceived sense of safety. You know, for a long time, we, we used religion or churches. And, you know, now I think one could make a very good argument that the new church or religion is, is you know, perhaps government or a certain methodology of, of a certain way of kind of looking at science where, you know, this is the, the authority, this is the God, and this is there to protect me. And if I don't go along with that, then this fear arises. And, you know, one thing that I think is really beautiful with these plants is, is they are taking us into ourselves. And that through that natural process of beginning to look at our fears, beginning to look at our patterns, I think there's a natural evolution where people also begin to really look at how that transpires outside of ourselves. So, you know, I think one beautiful thing with this work, and, and I'm seeing it, I think, a lot more, even through things like social media, is, is there, there is a lot of fear and there's a lot of division. But I do also see people beginning to look at things from a more holistic or, or detached point of view where they're seeing, oh, this is just that same fear. This is that same anxiety that I also have, that the collective has. And we're looking for someone to seemingly provide us security. But the kind of the paradox is that security is never out there. The security is always that, that peace that we can find inside of us. So, you know, long, long answer, I guess. But, you know, I think these things like COVID, you know, I guess it depends how far down the rabbit hole we want to go. But, you know, certainly when these things arise, there's a very clear pattern of these things are used, these wars are used out of a out of a common collective fear uh, to keep us separated because that's the actual state of fears it creates it creates division it creates separation and and I think that's becoming 
I don't know if it's becoming more, but it's just becoming made manifest because we have these ways of, you know, of seeing it 24 hours a day on our computer screen and our phone. And, and I think we're seeing kind of that collective fear coming out. But I think at the same time, we're also seeing many people beginning to look at that and say, hey, like this is actually insanity. This, this is the definition of insanity. And, and how do we find that balance of, like you said, like realizing that everything actually is okay, the world is perfect, and that doesn't mean we don't act, but how do we act in a way that unites us, brings us together, that doesn't separate, that doesn't cause division, but that, that comes from a place where we can all respect each other, we can all respect our points of views, our differences, because those things are beautiful. And, and how do we do that in a way that honors that and allows us to all live our you know, God-given, experience of, 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 of being someone who's born onto this earth and, and has the ability to live their lives and in the way that they, they see best fit. Yeah, the comfort with differing perspectives and the, the peace with differing views is certainly a gift to bring to the world in, in, in these times. And it feels like the peace around death. So, so one of the narratives, one of the, um, so I talked about the, the liberation from fear and self-loathing, which is not to say there would be no fear, but rather we're not going to be dominated or coerced through fear. And one of the other coercion tactics that's happening whether there's a sinister force doing this or it's just happening is this sense that if you don't um, uh, if, if you don't give away your freedoms willingly or if you don't voluntarily <laughs> follow this legislation that's not voluntary at all you're not looking after you don't care about people dying or you're not looking after everyone else this uh, sort of circular argument that's evoking guilt and, and shame so it does feel like there's these two very old means of influencing um you know, great fear and and self-loathing it's the basis of how the catholic church has um done so well um, financially and, and, and um, so on over the years. It's the basis of Scientology. It's the basis of marketing of cosmetics. Um, it's actually very simple, straightforward human psychology. And it feels like the ability to be at peace with those energies to, to, to love those energies, we could say, uh, to, 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 to feel the fear, to die to the fear, we could say, um, is a powerful response collectively to, uh, to not, not succumb to it, um, but a, a, allow it to, to, to move through us. Um, to, to have the death experience, you know, um, and I, ayahuasca certainly can 
help us with that. And we have those reports that you mentioned that um, uh, death, death is not what we have imagined it to be. So clearly it's the end for the physical body operating in an in a, in a animated way. Um, and yet what so much data is pointing to is that death is not the end of life. It's a, it's a transition. It's a movement into something else, into a coming home, into a, um, something rather beautiful. Why would you bring me back from this? And uh, these, this, this is actually from my perspective where the data is pointing us to us. We look if we look at near-death experiences, if we look at um, past life recall studies, and and, and so on. Um, and I, I don't know. I think there's there's definitely a lightness that comes up in that that maybe our highest function is not to avoid death at all costs but to um in, enjoy the experience of living and the gratitude for our being alive uh that uh, that, that that that's present right now and it's present if i've got uh, flu or covid19 or cancer or depression or anything else there's this uh miracle of our awareness of our of our being um yeah very yeah interesting times we find ourselves in upon planet earth right now in 2020 yeah beautifully beautifully put i um uh, I, I i resonate with all of that I saw a post from a friend that suggests that um, we're living in in this sort of six month period three of the most rare, unusual planetary alignments that have existed you know, since other very significant events like the American Revolution. There's a great book called Cosmos and Psyche by Richard Tarnas that looks at these sort of correlates of human activity upon planet Earth with um, planetary alignments in a very convincing data-driven way and so i heard you speak at the start of our conversation to the the bigger picture and perhaps the bigger picture that ayahuasca can help us gain some hint of or, or sense of or access to beyond our individual life and and really taking that cosmic view we could say we're all as well and hopefully um you know we are moving into a, an astrological alignment of of a golden age of uh, a, a period of greater peace and, and freedom and love manifest in the human consciousness upon planet earth um certainly it feels that you're playing your part in the divine drama rather powerfully and with great integrity. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed reconnecting with you and getting to learn more about the wonderful work you're doing in the world and sharing that with our listeners and with our viewers as well. Um, I encourage people to check out your website and, um, 
I'm already thinking I, I should get down to Peru and reconnect with the temple. And uh, if I'm going to, if I get to choose the facilitator, then I, then I know who I would like to be uh, to, to be heading up that ceremony. Oh, that that'd be amazing. If if you're if you ever find the time or space, reach out to me, and we'll we'll make it happen. And and if flights resume at some point as well, that's the big uh, waiting game we're playing right now. Jason, thank you so much for bringing your wisdom and presence to our viewers and listeners today. I'm I'm deeply grateful. It was a pleasure, Will. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, I, I appreciate the time, and uh, I appreciate all the work you're doing too. It's um, you know, as you said, these are very interesting times, and it's. Uh, uh, I think one of the beautiful things about this time we're living in is just this access to information and, and people really, really sharing things that a lot of us wouldn't have, uh, you know, access to even 10, 20 years ago. And, um, you know, those kind of voices are, are super powerful, and uh, you know, people people really resonated, and, and the work you're doing is it's, it's part of that exact same change. So, I, I hope you keep it up and. Uh, I look forward to uh, to sharing a glass of some plant beverage at some point in the future. <laughs> Beautifully put. Aho. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, take care. You too. And, and thank you to our viewers and listeners for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed the experience. You can visit loveandtruthparty.org to join our community download or order love letters register for our newsletter and of course connect on social media and please consider a financial gift at loveandtruthparty.org or you can find will pie on on patreon thank you to all our existing supporters and contributors together we are perhaps hopefully creating kind conscious courageous human community <laughs>